I have a confession to make. I'm an original gangster of internet self-defense. Self-defense, self-awareness, self-development. This is the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. Hello and welcome to the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. The Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore is a production of TheMartialist.net and PhilElmore.com. I am the aforementioned Phil Elmore, your host. Let's see how many times I can say my name in the opening. Uh, I got to thinking about the topic for this podcast because I was uh, sitting in my office looking around at all of the debris, as I call it, that I keep in my office. My office is... It's a, a sort of a museum dedicated to my various travels, both real and imagined, uh, props and replicas and mementos and all kinds of things like that, um, that I keep around as a reminder or as an inspiration. Um, being a writer is very much a mental game, and I spend my time sitting in this office working inside my own head and so having visual reminders of things that i like or things that i've enjoyed or uh, reminders of stuff that was uh, a unique experience any of that um it's very important to me to have those things on hand um it's very busy there's nothing clean or ascetic about my environment i, I tend to nest and there's scarcely a square inch of wall space free to put anything else by the time i'm done and uh, as I was sitting here thinking about that, I got to thinking about the simultaneously the best and the worst comment I've ever received on uh, any social media. And that comment was, oh, Phil Elmore, I used to read your books when I was a kid. Which was simultaneously ego-inflating and ego-destroying. Because it was a reminder of just how long I've been doing this and a reminder of just how long I've been doing this. Uh, I have been a fixture in online self-defense and in self-defense publications and in peripheral or ancillary uh, uh, documents. I have been instrumental in the creation of countless self-defense books, self-defense publications and articles. Um, some of which you may have read and not even known that I helped contribute to them. Uh, and so I thought I would sort of explore what has happened over the course of my lifetime as a way of explaining how the self-defense industry as an industry has changed. I touched on these topics um, in my podcast about being an internet marketer. Um, so that was more specifically devoted to marketing. This is more about just your experience as a consumer and a participant in the internet self-defense industry, if you will. Uh, because I like to think that my experience from the inside probably reflects what a lot of you have seen, uh, especially if you're my age, but also if you're younger, there are things that you missed that happened before you. And the only way for you to find out about them is if some of us older codgers actually take the time to tell you. So in some ways there's sort of a deep lore to internet self-defense. Um, and I'm always thinking of things like, it, if, you, if you sat me down and said, tell me everything you remember about the self-defense industry on the internet, it would be really hard to remember everything and come up with it. These things, 
you fall down you know rabbit holes and, and you you pick up threads and you think one thing will remind you of another thing there are things that i'm constantly remembering that i've forgotten all about that i haven't thought about in years uh and when i think about how many years it's been that gets a little terrifying because you know and, and a part of that is because the books that i wrote for paladin press street sword and flashlight fighting People still talk about those books today. The books have achieved a kind of popular culture infamy. Um, not so much flashlight. I mean, flashlight fighting did well and was the first book of its kind, of its kind devoted to using small flashlights as striking implements. Street Sword, because it has such a ridiculous title, and I did a whole video on this, um, people think it's something that it's not, and that sort of guarantees that people who haven't read the book will look at the title and look at the cover and laugh at it. But in both cases, I had hair. When I wrote those books, I, I don't really speak on this a lot, but I never liked my hair when I had it. Um, I shaved my head to get rid of what would be stubble, um, you know, sort of the Captain Picard ring around the back of my head. Uh, if I could wave a magic wand and not have to do that and just be completely bald, I would prefer that. But I never missed my hair. I was a little surprised when it went away because my bald spot grew in from the back of my head. So for the longest time, I would look in the mirror and I thought I still had hair. And apparently I was losing it and didn't realize it. Um, and then when I finally became aware of it, eventually I started shaving my head. First, I started buzzing it and then I started shaving my head um, because I just I never liked the hair when I had it. I never thought it looked all that good. Um, no matter how much I washed it, it always just looked kind of ugh. So I don't miss you, hair, but at the same time, it's a marker of how time has passed. There was a time when my beard was not gray, um, and when it happens, it happens fast. There's, there was a famous author, might have been Hemingway, who described what it's like to go bankrupt. He described it as a process that happens gradually, then suddenly. Well, that's what happened with growing old. It was a process that happened gradually and then suddenly. And all of a sudden I turned around and I was an original gangster, an OG of the internet self-defense world, having been there for a lot of the development of online self-defense and interacted, however, peripherally with a lot of the personalities in the online self-defense world. And then I've interviewed a lot of them directly, uh, thanks to the work that I've done in the internet self-defense industry. So let me let me talk about that in defining the development of the online self-defense industry into four sort of epochs <laughs> because originally there was you know martial arts that you had to go and do in person and uh, you know that really surged after world war ii and martial arts became popular here in the united states um what what really defines the modern martial arts era to me is when john keehan aka count dante founded the mail-order martial arts industry and started selling world's deadliest fighting secrets out of the back of comic books. And I was reminded of this on Instagram when a friend of mine posted a picture of a copy he had of world's deadliest fighting secrets. That's the book that puts mail-order martial arts on the map and makes it a thing. Uh, and it changed everything when you could start getting self-defense information through the mail. Uh, the next sort of segment of the online martial arts industry was sort of a wild west era where everybody could say anything they wanted and there was really no way to check them on that so during the 80s the ninja boom happens and authors like radford davis aka Yoshida kim become wildly famous uh, in these small circles as ninja personalities and there's no one to stop them and no one to say they aren't and a whole lot of people put on black keys and get in on the act 
And it, but it wasn't just the ninja craze that happened at this time. It was this incredible boom of weird and wonderful martial arts books and books on knife fighting and books on razor fighting and everything in between. You know, the delightful books uh, like uh, uh, the knife fighting from Folsom Prison uh, and uh, uh, which is there's a weird story there because the author of uh, knife fighting techniques from Folsom Prison has started putting a bunch of stuff up on Amazon and it's a little weird. It's odd. I wouldn't, maybe that's a topic for another, another podcast, but anyway, uh, you know, uh, Jenks and Brown, uh, and their books on knives and razors and, and, and Bradley Steiner's books. And so there was so much, uh, Loom Panics and Delta Press and Paladin Press became really big at that time, uh, in the, in the eighties, especially. And, sort of set the stage for where I would intersect with the, the self-defense industry for the first time. I started reading books on self-defense and on martial arts back in high school, going to the high school library, because, you know, as a kid, you don't have any money. I would go to the high school library and I would find books on things like karate and I would read and see what I could learn in that way. And so in that, um, there's that scene in The Karate Kid where Miyagi meets Daniel for the first time and Daniel's like doing karate from a book that's on his coffee table. And, uh, and uh, Miyagi's like, oh, karate, learn from book. And you can hear the disapproval in his voice. And so that kind of speaks to me because it's not ideal to try and learn anything from a book, but that's what I had access to at the time. So uh, I started reading books on martial arts in high school. And then after high school and in college was when I first had a number of bizarre experiences that sort of underscored to me the need to learn self-defense and also gave me my first experiences in knives and knife fighting and carrying knives and, and martial arts and, and viewing all of this not just from a physical martial arts perspective you know like as in taking classes but also from a hey you might actually have to use this stuff to defend yourself perspective there's probably an entire separate podcast wrapped around the weird experience I had in college where I got mixed up with what was essentially almost a cult. And like I said, that's a whole other story. I'll have to get to that sometime in the future. Um, but as a result of all that, uh, I ended up taking karate in college and the way that was handled was you, you learned it for a semester, you got credit for it for school. And then if you wanted to pay tuition privately to the instructor, you could keep taking it. And I did. I went on and, and continued taking karate for most of the rest of my time in college. I get out of college, and now, as, as I get out of college, we're headed towards the beginnings of the internet becoming available. I remember it was after college when I got my first computer that had AOL. And right about this time, we're still deep in the mail-order Wild West phase, but the model is transitioning to the VHS and then the DVD era of uh, instructional martial arts and self-defense videos. As the catalogs have surged and as popularity of the catalogs have surged, a model emerges that I would call the personality model of self-defense and the self-defense industry, where people are selling themselves. You're buying this guy from TRS or from Paladin who has a video or a series of videos, you know, your, your Jim Grovers and your Sammy Franco's and your, um, uh, Kelly Wardens and, and, you know, all of, all of these, these names in the, in the self-defense industry, um, that I first became aware of through say Paladin press and companies like TRS video that put out 
just scads and scads of, of VHS videotapes. I feel like the industry was healthier during the VHS era than it would eventually become in the DVD era, because I feel like when we made the technological transition to DVDs, the model was already starting to show the first signs of going out, of, of being on its way out the door. So it was not uncommon at that time for a personality to establish himself by having books through Paladin or by putting out videos uh, through TRS and then going on to do his own thing. Because once you knew he existed, he could draw you to his website, sell you stuff that he published and that he got all the profits from instead of, you know, getting a tiny royalty from like Paladin Press. And when I first wrote books for Paladin, that's what I, I was like, I'm going to I'm going to be a martial arts guy. I'm, I'm going to get known writing martial arts books for Paladin Press. And then my best-selling book is a book on CPAP machines because life is not without a sense of irony. Um, be that as it may, though, uh, the personality model eventually gives way to the current model where we now exist in, which is the streaming content model, where now people are less buying access to a personality, less buying into the myth of, self-defense guru place name here and more buying into i wish to consume this content on these topics serve up to me please that content so that i may consume it and pay for it or not as the case may be uh, and whenever you're consuming free self-defense content there's usually a venue wherein you become monetized later like uh, you know if, if i'm a self-defense personality and i'm putting out videos and i'm building a channel um, or I'm building a presence on some platform, some social media platform, and there's no cost to you to participate in that, follow that, watch that, read that, whatever. Eventually, if I'm making a living at this at all, there is a, a way for you to end up paying me money, which is I write a book and I tell you about the book on these channels that are now hopefully well-trafficked and have a big audience. Or I do a seminar and I say, hey, you can book me for seminars. And there's a lot of guys in the self-defense industry who make their money by going and doing training. Um, there's other ways, you know, there's, and especially now with distance learning, you know, distance learning kind of became a dirty word back in the personality marketing era where people were selling long distance courses that supposedly would certify you in things back in the VHS and in the DVD days. And then people would say, well, this is obviously a fraud. You can't learn to be a ninja by mail order. But now, especially after the pandemic, and it was all many of these instructors could do during the pandemic, now the idea of distance learning has, I think it's gained more credibility because now it's seen as a necessity. And during the pandemic, we learned there was a lot you could do distance-wise. You didn't necessarily have to be somewhere in person with another human being. So now I think there's greater credibility attached to doing distance learning and i'm seeing all kinds of guys in the industry who i like and respect and who do good work offering classes on zoom and classes on this platform and that platform and, and um for instance uh, the the folks from amok i just i noticed they started to put curriculum that you can pay for on vimeo as a, as video courses and all of that is good i i think all of that's wonderful but i think about that in terms of the journey that I took to get from here to there and, and go from, you know, being a young, impressionable, I want to learn about this stuff guy to being a hot-headed arguer uh, and, and ultimately ending up, you know, there's a, there's a few steps in between, ultimately ending up where I am. Um, 
you know, after after college was when I got into the the mail order industry real bad, and I started amassing the massive library I have. There's a there's a video on my YouTube channel of just one little shelf segment of my three double shelf units full of books, where some of my knife fighting books and and other books on martial arts, some of which go back to the '90s, are are I show them and and talk about them, and and you can see some of the older stuff that I have. Um, so I started accumulating that. And then after college, um, I started getting into uh, military combatives and, and wanting to learn about that. And this was as the as the forums, you know, everybody, there was a point on the internet at which everybody had their own forum. And there were services devoted to giving you access to make your own forums. So everybody had their own bulletin board. Uh, and I started getting into World War II combatives through those outlets. And at the same time, I started becoming interested in what was available to me locally. Uh, and I got in on the ground floor of a Wing Chun school that had just opened up after I saw a news article of all things in my local paper about the school opening. So I was very excited about that. Uh, and while I was engaged in training there, that's when the sort of the internet self-defense wars started. I don't know how people used to do their martial arts politicking. Like, Back in the days of Count Dante, when he was alive, you would literally dojo storm. You would go to other people's schools and you would fight them. With the advent of the internet, we all started virtually fighting each other by arguing and calling each other names on the internet. And lots of people would make fight challenges. Almost none of them happened. A few did. Almost none did. But a few. And while I was training in, in Wing Chun, and then eventually I switched from Wing Chun to Lu Shang Kung Fu, uh, under the teacher under whom I would eventually get my instructor credentials. But while all that was going on, that's when all of the the really bad internet forum sniping and fighting happened. Uh, this was the heyday of troll sites like Bullshito, which started out as McDojo and probably had to change its name because they got a, a letter from the McDonald's people or were worried that they might. Um, and in the midst of all that was when I, I eventually put out uh, street sword and flashlight fighting, not in that order. Um, I had been featured in a, a book in a collection of essays by, uh, by Paladin press called warriors. And it was after talking to them about that essay collection that I <clears throat> pitched them the first of the two books. And after doing those books, I eventually, I eventually, eventually ugh, I can talk. I eventually ended up working behind the scenes doing editing for Paladin. I made more money as an editor behind the scenes than I ever made as an author. And that's when the idea clicked in my head. There's money in the marketing. There's money behind the scenes. I started networking with people. I started my own online self-defense publication, The Marshallist, which enabled me to network with more self-defense personalities. I would like to tell you that I deliberately started that publication online in order to network. I would like to tell you I, I meant to do that, but that's not true. I started it because I was encouraged to do so uh by dan weber of all people uh who was dan weber was an up-and-coming internet personality during this time period and he kind of uh disappeared off the self-defense scene after that but not before encouraging me to start the Marshallist, like in 2003. so the early 2000s are happening people are arguing with each other everywhere on the internet i had gone from arguing anonymously in the late 90s to arguing not anonymously. I, I hung out my shingle, started using my real name, started my first philomore.com website uh, because my goal was, you know, I actually want to get paid to write 
So I started um, trying to make that a reality. And it turns out it's a really self-fulfilling prophecy. How do you become known as a martial arts writer? You start writing about martial arts. I started writing for various publications down through the years I've written for I can't even count how many magazines and newspapers I've done journalism. I worked for World Net Daily for years and years, writing columns and the occasional news article. I've written for Canadian newspapers. One was in the Yukon, of all places. Um, a few other publications in there somewhere. I wrote for um, Sur uh, Survivor's Edge, but before that it was Tactical Knives. So Tactical Knives magazine eventually became Survivor's Edge magazine. I wrote for a bunch of other Harris publications. I didn't always know that I was writing for them. Like I wrote a bunch of articles for one magazine, and when that when that changed or got shut down, some of those articles got disseminated to other Harris publications. I had some stuff in like Personal Defense World. Um, so all of that was happening, but that didn't make my career. What made my career was I started working for internet marketers in the self-defense and survival space. At the height of my internet marketing career, which I detailed in a, another podcast, I was writing emails to 300,000 people a day because I was writing for three different email lists, each of which had a reach of about 100,000 people. And uh, along the way, I interviewed, I don't know how many experts on martial arts, self-defense, survival, and all the peripheral topics in this genre. And... At some point, I realized that all those hours and hours of interviews, all those publications, all the ghostwriting, everything I'd done up to that point had actually taught me a lot, quite irrespective of what else I was doing. Because I went through a sort of renaissance period of time where I did a lot of training. Um, you know, I took all kinds of classes from Rochester Personal Defense and MDDTS and uh, uh, Insights training um, and, uh, there's, I'm forgetting some, I've got it all written down, but you know, you, after a while it all starts to blur together, you know, training, uh, in, in unarmed self-defense and training with knives and, uh, training with, um, uh, SIM guns and, you know, just wearing out firearms that I used, that I shot so much ammo through, uh, the only, I don't have any regrets about any of that. It was, it was amazing, even though the firearms environment in my state has gotten a lot worse since then. But along the way, again, I found that the money was behind the scenes. I believe, I truly believe, that you have probably read things I've written about self-defense, and you may not even know it. That's how prolific I've been down through the years. There was a number of years where I wasn't really that visible in the online self-defense world because I was working. I was For years, I was just buried in work, making money, doing my thing. Um, and I came out the other side of all of that. And I, I, I still do some internet marketing. I still work with some internet marketers. There was one that I worked with for a number of years, uh, that so many years ago that I don't remember when we started working together and I no longer work with that outfit. And, uh, after all those years, it was kind of a relief not to anymore, but there was a, there was a day not that long ago where I realized, oh, wow, I've slowed down. I'm not as busy as I want. I don't mean in terms of work. I just mean there was a time when I was a lot more active online, and there was certainly a time when I used to argue with strangers a lot online. I stopped doing that a long time ago, or tried anyway. Um, but I sort of stepped back from some of the martial arts politicking that goes with this industry. And I realized that 
I had seen so much in the course of the evolution of this industry, and all of a sudden I was a lot more mellow. And I guess that's the sort of the, the mellowing that comes with age, the, the wisdom that comes from having made a lot of mistakes, having seen a lot of stuff. There's things you wish you could go back and change. There's other things you wouldn't go back and change. And that's when I became more and more aware of comments that people were leaving me, some of whom acknowledged having followed my work or things that I'd done for years, years and years. It was a little scary because nobody likes to think that they're getting old. And, and for the longest time, I didn't think of myself in those terms. But at some point, you have to acknowledge it. You have to acknowledge that you're getting older. And so uh, it was a little sobering to, to come to that realization and be like, yeah, uh, I was there for a lot of the development of the early self-defense communities online. Um, you know, places like self-defense forums and knife forums and blade forums and and uh, uh, TPI that, that Craig Douglas did after self-defense forums fell apart. And, um, you know, the usual suspect network, a, a place where I was eventually banned for being friends with the wrong people who, ironically enough, I'm no longer friends with because they turned out to be bad people. And, you know, on and on and on, the politics that goes with all of this stuff and the drama that goes with all of this stuff. And as I sit in my office and I look around at all the representations of all of the things I've done and, and seen and want to remember and, um, you know, things I've written or want to write, um, entertainment that I've enjoyed that has influenced me or inspired me. It really kind of blows your mind after a while. You get that, what a long, strange trip it's been stuck in your head. You know, the, the Grateful Dead is just strumming away in the background. And you're like, wow, it really has been strange. We live in the weirdest timeline as it is anyway. Um, and so to, to realize that you've had an impact on other people and that you're still continuing to learn and that you've gained enough wisdom to realize that getting upset about these things, there's not really much point in it. And there's still, don't get me wrong. There's still some things that bug me. There are things I like to say, I, I try not to get upset. I do get really annoyed. I spend a lot of time annoyed and I've counseled younger generations. Getting upset doesn't solve a problem. It's okay to be annoyed. I'm annoyed a lot. Get annoyed, acknowledge your irritation, and then fix the problem. Solve the problem. Do what you can. So after all of these years, uh, you know, and, and a friend of mine, uh, my friend Ryan, I think, was the first person to refer to me as an OG of Internet self-defense. And at first I was like, no. Nah. And then I got to thinking about it. I'm like, well, yeah, kind of. And it feels arrogant to acknowledge that, but at the same time, I mean, it is true. So... I'm grateful for everything I've been able to do and all the people I've been able to interact with and all the stuff I still hope to accomplish. There are so many books I'm trying to get written that I have to juggle against all of the work that I do that actually brings me money. And I still do. I work all the time. Um, I'm, I'm coming to grips with the fact that I'm something of a workaholic. Um, and I, I do these podcasts in an effort to force myself to do something fun because it's kind of... It, it would be asking a lot of me to leave the office and go do something fun because the whole time I'm away, I'm thinking about what not's getting, what's not getting done while I'm there. But if when I do these podcasts and I'm here in the office, I do these, you know, like on my lunch hour, I force myself to take a couple of lunches a week, ideally to do podcasts. It doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes I do fewer. 
um, occasionally I'll get down into the shop or here in the office and do like a dedicated self-defense video. I do that for fun, but because it's here in the office, it eases the transition from working to not working. So it sort of feels like I might still be pretending to get something done. So the workaholic in me is satisfied with that. But uh, I am fascinated by, and I hope you are too, the evolution of the self-defense industry. I'm curious to see where it will go next. So, you know, we went from the, there was no, there, there was no internet self-defense industry because there really was no internet to speak of, to a time when, thanks to the internet, um, the mail order martial arts industry that was founded by Count Dante could really come into its own and go from mail order and catalogs and buying things over the phone to, you know, this wonderful time where people were buying VHS videos and visiting self-defense websites and ordering online uh, and then ordering DVDs and the quality of everything got better and then streaming got better. And then we moved from the personality model to this content model that we have now where you're streaming interests, you're, you're, you're embracing your interest through multiple content streams. Where does that go after that? I don't know. I don't think a lot of us could have predicted what was going to happen up to this point accurately. Some people probably did. I remember there was a television show called Gene Roddenberry's Earth Final Conflict, which apparently was a science fiction show that Gene Roddenberry had an idea, idea for that he wrote on a cocktail napkin, and they mined his corpse for its ideas long after he was dead. But the show predicted accurately a few things. One of them was streaming television programming on the internet. Another was the fact that everybody was walking around with a device that they called a global that was laughably powered by Sprint. Uh, but it was the modern smartphone. That's really what it was. It was a plot contrivance because it was essentially a tricorder. It could take video, it could communicate, it could take pictures, it could transmit these things. Um, so it was sort of a pocket MacGuffin plot device facilitator. But it was a modern smartphone. That's all it was. So fiction sometimes predicts these things better than those of us in the, th in the heart of the industry probably could have. And it's probably stretching things to say that I was in the industry at that time, although I've been sort of peripheral to it for a very long time. And I have been in the industry for a number of years now. Um, so I'm really curious to see where it's going to go. Uh, and I wonder what you think. Uh, leave me a comment if you're listening to this or watching this in some area where it is possible to leave a comment. Tell me where you think it's going to go. Because I don't know. Uh, and it's amazing to see what's happened up to now. So I am grateful to have been in some small part, hopefully helpful to a few people. Um, you know, just uh, my Etsy shop and the, the self-defense accessories that I sell the, the idea that people are buying that stuff and finding it useful. Every time I find an Instagram post from someone posting something that I know I made, that's amazing too. Uh, and I'm really honored to see that it's, it's, it never gets old. It's, it's always kind of a trip, just like seeing your book on the shelf. Uh, when I was writing executioner novels, I would go to the bookstore and I'd always stop in the section of the bookshelves where they had the executioner novels and it never got old seeing a book that I wrote on the shelf, just right in front. I mean, you never stop being excited by that. Being a writer is like being a heroin addict. Your next publishing fix has to come faster and be bigger each time. And it, you never stop wanting more. So it never, it never gets old. Sometimes it's not as fulfilling as it once was because you want more, 
but it never stops being entertaining. All right, well, that's all I have to say on that topic. I hope you've enjoyed this sort of trip down memory lane and combination analysis of how the self-defense industry has become what it is and where it might be going from here. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, leave them in the comments if you can comment where you're listening to this. And uh, until next time, I have been Phil Elmore. This has been the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. Until next time, pretend I said something cool here. This has been the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. Visit us online at linktree slash Elmore.